Welcome to the India Fintech Diaries, the only podcast focused exclusively on the Indian fintech market. I'm Elroy. And I'm Himan. In each episode, we dive into the latest trends, ideas, innovations, business models, and personalities that are shaping India's fintech landscape. We also invite amazing guests who are innovators and industry players that are driving the change that is helping make financial services more modern, innovative, and inclusive in India. Come join us as we explore the changing landscape of fintech in India. Hi everyone and welcome back to India Fintech Diaries. I'm your host Hemant and there is never a dull moment in the India Fintech land. Last few months have seen a lot of action on lending related regulations and everyone in the industry is trying to make sense of it. There are many interpretations that have been given. To cut through the financial jargon and help us through the labyrinth of lending regulations, we have with us today Matthew Chako, CEO and founder of Spice Root Legal. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you, Heyman. Thank you for having me. That, that, that description as a CEO might not be entirely ap- appropriate, but <laughs> founder nevertheless, yes. Cool. Matthew, you are a lawyer in a fintech land, so slightly different from normally the people that we speak to. So before we start with the discussion, we would like to understand how did you end up in this space and also what's the story behind the firm name? Right. Okay. So firstly, I was a technology lawyer in Singapore about 10, 12, 15 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that time, the technology scene in Singapore in terms of startups and evolving tech was limited. So the only companies in Singapore that were rapidly, you know, this was much before the VC boom in Singapore, that would rapidly engage with technology was the banks. So mm-hmm. I started working with a couple of banks here and there, trying to fix their technology, trying to help them with outsourcing, software development, etc. cetera. Uh, and this was pre, you know, Satoshi's blockchain revolution in Singapore. So ended up doing a lot of data-related work with them, a lot of software-related work with them. And eventually, after three, four years, um, ended up having a fairly healthy portfolio of fintech work. So you can call me an accidental fintech lawyer. (laughs) Uh, Went into it because I didn't have a choice. Uh, When I came back to India, I wanted to, you know, kind of set up a firm which reflected the fact that we were very, that, you know, the founders had spent a lot of time internationally, although India was the core part of our uh, expertise. Uh, and the last time that Indian commerce um, dictated or demanded or commanded a pride of place in global trade was when the, the spice route was booming. And, ah, so we, okay. <laughs> yeah, and we think that, that the next few years will show India rising in terms of global trade. And we will end up, you know, a new modern digital spice route, hmm. hopefully. And we want to enable that, <coughs> hence the name. Very interesting, very interesting. And we are as as long in India as you are. So, Matthew, now moving to the topic for the day. So, till now, Matthew, the discourse around the regulatory framework and regulations has been around RBI circulars and guidelines. That means whenever a guideline comes in or a circular comes in, that gets debated less a product focused discussion of saying okay if this is the product what are the regulations that are pertaining to it and how does the new regulation or a circular or a notification or a clarity from rbi so to say impacts that and especially from the fintech players point of view because they are the new kids on the block which are trying to make sense of the regulation and trying to deliver a more efficient service to the customers so is that okay with you we take a more product view rather than a circular focus view 
Absolutely. Awesome. So then the, let's start, Matthew, with the hottest one, right? Lending on PPI. I think one of the most favorite model in last couple of years for Indian BNPLS players as well. So let's start with understanding what lending on PPI is and why is RBA cross about it? <laughs> so many regulations about it. Right. Um, so conceptually, let's look at the way, before we take the product view, let's look at the way the regulator looks at it, right? Mm-hmm. For the regulator, there are three products involving cards, right? There are credit cards, there are debit cards, and there are PPIs. Now, each one of these have different sets of permissions that are required from the RBI. Uh, Credit cards, you know, very stringent regime. Debit card, slightly less stringent, but equally very stringent. Mm -hmm. And PPIs, which are a slightly more relaxed form of having cash on a card, right? Got it. Now, of course, our absolutely brilliant series of fintechs combined the ability to directly provide a loan to a card to load PPIs, right? There was nothing in the law that technically prohibited it. Hmm. And therefore, um, you know, it became hugely popular because I could use my card, I could just avail a loan and my PPI would suddenly look like a credit card. Right, the moment I need an on-demand loan, I could use my PPI to kind of go and you know draw down that loan and immediately use the cash. Now the problem with that was that then the and, and the regulatory problem with that was that then the PPI ended up looking exactly like a credit card. Hmm. There was no difference. And secondly, the validity of this entire process and whether this was leading to unnecessary consumer lending which was risky how are these lenders doing proper kyc if the loans are just flowing into your ppi how are you ascertaining credit worthiness is there a problem with this entire system of immediate loans right on-demand loans is something that the rbi has been grappling with for about a year or two Mm -hmm. right and obviously there was one statement by someone in the rbi which said this is very similar to a subprime boom and I don't think they mean, you know, subprime in the sense of mortgages in the US, but mm-hmm. lending to people who are actually not credit worthy. And you can see, you know, multiple instances of, of this going wrong with people committing suicide, with people, you know, finding extremely uh, finding it extremely difficult to pay these loans back with collection agents behaving badly and all of that. And the RBI's recent regulations are very clear. They've, they've taken a stick to this problem and they've said credit cards are credit cards, PPIs are PPIs. The two are different. You cannot load a loan onto a PPI, right? Um, and that's a conceptual issue that the RBI has come up with. If you do have the time, we can discuss possible solutions that are there to continue providing the same product. Actually, yeah, Matthew, that was my immediate next question to that because I think uh, these products picked up because these delivered credit at the point of consumption, which is a huge benefit to a customer. So I'm very interested in actually understanding that players like, say, a Slice or Unipay or LazyPay or anyone who is in this business, what can they do? Okay, let's not talk about the specifics because some of them are clients. But (laughs) okay, um, here's a very simple solution, right? What the RBI Mm -hmm. says is, that for policy reasons, if you are giving a loan, term credit, revolving credit, whatever it is, that loan must hit a bank account, not okay. a PPI, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the first step, right? And this is one of 
three, four other solutions, but the first solution, and this is the simplest. So the simplest solution for you to trigger this is for the loan to hit a bank account and for the bank account to automatically debit that money into a PPI. Okay. Right. Hmm. Using technology, we can make this not as seamless as loading a PPI, but fairly close. We don't have to go back to those days where if we were taking a loan for at the consumer point of sale, you'd have to fill in those 50 pages that Bajaj, I don't know if you remember, but Bajaj fans <laughs> used to give you those 50 pages to fill up. Oh, I do remember. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That was, in fact, there are multiple times when, um, you know, and I've been fortunate to have been employed and therefore not have to necessarily, and also fortunate to not have very extravagant consumption need. But mm-hmm. whenever I went to buy a phone, um, I would always, I remember, want to sign up for Bajaj Finance, mm-hmm. see the amount of paperwork and then say, boss, yeah, I'm not going to do this, right? This is right. just beautiful. Um, I think there is a solution. It's not going to be as seamless. It's a technology solution. It's not a legal or a regulatory solution. Mm-hmm. It's to follow and comply with the RBI's requirement that the money reach the bank account and thereafter immediately move it to the people. Right? And that's a very simplistic solution um, right. that I'm sure multiple people are playing around with. Um, there are more complicated solutions around banks providing the credit, co-lending, um, instead of a PPI, should we do a debit card? All of those issues have also arisen. Mm-hmm. The problem is, and from an RBI perspective, and I always say this, when you're structuring products for fintech, try not to look at the exact language of the regulation and try to play around with the RBI. Try and identify why the RBI is doing something and solve for it using technology. And I've been a technology lawyer for 20 years. Technology in 99.9% of the time for legitimate use cases will provide a solution that is consistent with the RBI's aim of keeping a track of these sectors, right? right? Because written into technology is accountability, right? Because you can track almost everything, yep. right? So, um, my my general advice to the market is try and figure out what the RBI wants. And I can give you one example. Right? And then from there, try and work out a solution. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a huge controversy about a year ago about virtual private accounts. Hmm. Right? Are they payment aggregators or not? And I remember reading the regulations on payment aggregators and saying virtual private accounts are not payment aggregators because they're not in the uh, they're not fulfilling settlement transactions in the course of a payment. Mm. And I remember sitting down with someone from the RBI and, and someone who was formerly with the RBI and saying, um, sir, can we do, and very senior of course, can we do this? And he looked at me and said, Matthew, you've been a lawyer for a long time and you've been harassing me about the RBI for 19 years. Why don't you try and see what the RBI is trying to do? So I said, okay, the RBI is trying to make sure that small companies that do not have uh, net worth and credentials and all of that are not holding your money because of settlement risks. Let's say if the provider of virtual private accounts goes bankrupt one day, will the right. consumer lose the money? That's what the RBI is trying to solve. Hmm. Now, if that is so, then there is every policy reason to require a virtual private account provider to become a payment aggregate. 
because then there are you know requirements around capital correct yeah um and put from that perspective um stop thinking like a lawyer start thinking like someone who's got to keep the integrity of the financial sector market mm. and then start structuring solutions around digital lending right because i think i, I think you and i both agree that digital lending is brilliant solution for many use cases but i think you and i can also probably agree and and please tell me if you disagree that it has also been a case of significant misuse in the last one or two years true that is true yes and and rbi is just stepping in and maybe it will fine tune the regulation there are areas in the new dl regulations that are a bit worrisome and that whitelist that uh, the honorable finance minister announced is also slightly worrisome mm. but there are ways you can tinker it and make it work for the industry for example you know nirmala sitaram they announced a whitelist my request to the government would be can we make it a blacklist right mm-hmm. let's actively black out and ban apps that are badly behaving but let's not ask and create like a regulatory yeah that will just create red tape which we are actually trying to get away from because that becomes a roadblock for a positive player in the market to even go and start serving customers true Correct. and also it will stymie the smallest most innovative players and those are Correct. the ones the government wants to improve like imagine when and we can talk of one client i think imagine if price was really small hmm. if you get all these regulations just their legal fees would kill them right <laughs> okay <laughs> true forget everything else now they are big enough they can have an army of lawyers and they do hmm. and so we want future slices that are even more innovative than slice to kind slice is a brilliant company right and right. even innovative than slice to come out of the market and compete with slice forcing slice to improve hmm. that one thing that i think the government that's the only complaint i have i think the rbi is brilliant as a regulator in fact in india where i wish all the other regulators tax all of them were mm. as proactive as the rbi was but i think we still need to move out of our license raj mentality right absolutely that that's the key point and i think uh, matthew that's a very good segue to the next conversation that we wanted to have on the overall the working group digital lending implementation and now on the 2nd september the guideline on digital lending but before we go there i had this on the bnpl side question remaining on the 15 day format of bnpl players so with the new format in place a lot of these 15 day ones said that we are not even credit players or lending players does it impact them as well uh, and even they would have to now go through the traditional options that you just spoke about or they can continue operating the way they had been so that i think is an unresolved solution that we'll need rbi clarification from we're not very clear on what to do with the 15 day bnpl got it got it got it i'm i'm able to understand that clarifications will be on the way perfect perfect yeah because that question remained when we had this conversation multiple times with now you and with other industry players as well so now let's just then move to the new guideline for digital lending and if we can go through the key elements of it that will have an impact on a fintech player and what are the options for them to ensure that they are in line with not only the wordings but the exactly as you said the spirit of the regulation right yeah so that's the one thing that the rbi keeps harping on right not the letter of the law but the spirit of the law even multiple times when our clients have been 
you know, requested to answer certain questions by the RBI. There was always a very sharp spirit of the law question. Uh, what are the primary elements which are the underlying conceptual basis of the digital lending guidelines? Um, one of which is the RBI likes on balance sheet transactions. Right? The RBI does not want you to provide unnecessary levels of credit enhancements whereby the risk is transferred from an NBFC to a, for the absence of a better word, startup funded by venture capital money. Right? So the underlying principle is all the RBI's NBFC regulations are aimed at making sure that an NBFC takes responsible, coherent steps to assess creditworthiness of an individual and thereby give loan. If a second party or a third party to the transaction was to come in and take over the risk associated with a loan, the question that probably any regulator will ask is, what incentive is there for an NBFC to be careful about lending? Right? And so what the RBI right. said is, I want the NBFC to take the risk or at least a significant portion of the risk. Right? So that's one. The mm -hmm. second thing that the RBI has come out with and very clearly said is, we want there to be accountability for the NBFC or other regulated entities, accountability for the actions of the digital lender, accountability for the actions of the loan service provider, and especially accountability for the actions of collection agents. Right? And I can give you a very personal example of something that happened to me about two months ago. So I spent about 10 years outside India. And just before I went outside India, I, I thought I'd cancelled all my credit cards and I'd done all my debit cards and all of that. But it appears that there was one debit card with some 100 or 115 rupees, you know, this was in 2007, 100 or 115 rupees pending on that credit card. Or, or, and which, which then, you know, the card got cancelled. But that 115 rupees by virtue of, you know, the innovative interest methods they have, eventually over the course of 10 years became 1,800 and hmm. got transferred to a asset reconstruction company that is owned by Kotak, right? So the collection hmm. agent called me and said, can you pay, we'll settle on. This was in, this was about six to seven months ago, 12 years after the loan. So I said, okay, I'm so sorry. I um, could not, you know, I did not know that I had this outstanding. Of course, I'll pay. Um, and then I said, I'll pay in the next two days because they wanted me to go down to the Kotak branch and pay or something like that. Or my digital payments apparatus was not working. So they said, yeah, can you just go to Kotak and pay? And I already had a, a relationship with Kotak. So I said, okay, I'll go. I'll come down and pay. And um, the day that I was supposed to come, I had a really important meeting, ironically, for a bank that competes with Kotak in Bombay. So I went to Bombay. And I, um, you know, the, the collection agent called and said, Nats, have you paid? And I said, um, no, no, I haven't paid. I'm really sorry. I'm in Bombay. So collection agent started getting a little aggressive. And he started getting a little aggressive. This is a call from their Delhi branch. They started getting a little aggressive with me and started speaking to me in slightly colloquial Hindi. So my Hindi, as most South Indians, is from, derived from <laughs> Bollywood movies, Thorasa Formal, you know, Thorasa Kalari. So I said, guys, guys, I don't speak Hindi very well. Can you speak to me in English? In the collection agent started, you are an Indian, you can't speak Hindi, right? And in Hindi. 
so then i explained to the collection boss i have you know about 10000 times the amount of money that i or at least a, my math is bad but over 1800 times the amount of money that i owe in kotaka bank and i willingly right. said i'm going to make the payment but if you think you're going to aggressively push and i have apologized for it if you think you're going to aggressively yell and shout at me and you're going to make a payment i am not going to do that and then we'll see you in court right you picked a fight with someone who unfortunately has access to justice so i'll see you in court and then i got about 50 calls from them each one more aggressive than the other right oh. so this points to the problem that the rbi is trying to solve collection agents you know are not under an obligation of responsibility think they can arm twist people into and this is someone who has access to justice right imagine if i didn't have right. access to justice and i was in a tier 4 city and i wasn't educated i would have probably gotten really scared by the tone and tenor of these um these collection agents right, right. so that's something that the rbi has taken a hammer upon and it is very clear that even if the collection agency is outsourced to say a dl or a loan service provider or both the nbfc will have to be accountable for all their actions that's the second level. the third level of checks is around data security that they've come in with and the nbfc is responsible for ensuring that uh, your digital lender has for the ease of a better word let's say privacy by design incorporated into their architecture in fact right now we've been sitting and designing privacy re- redesigning privacy and compliance uh, protocols for these nbfcs in fact we have been telling these digital lenders for over 2 or 3 years to get privacy by design in, in, implemented in india because even mm. if it's not mandatory now within 1 year 2 years whenever that data bill comes out it will be mandatory so please prepare but there's been reluctance till now this one regulation and we've got multiple digital lenders coming to us and agreeing to do this so all these three are the core fundamental principles that underlie the digital lending guidelines a related that you must think of since you're looking at it from a product perspective fldg mm-hmm. debt is class default right. guarantee debt and the regulations are very clear credit enhancements right now in the form of a simpliciter fldg or some of these weird non convertible debenture structures that these nbfcs have been using in the original shape and form is probably not promising however He has pointed PCA out and said, "Follow the securitization guidelines, and we'll be fine." Got so it. all the NBFCs will now have to restructure their FLDGs, or they're not even can't be FLDGs anymore, but restructure their guarantee systems and their credit enhancement systems using the securitization guidelines, which I thought was a superb move by the RBI. Little bit more clarity on how to use it would be appreciated. but brilliant move right. they have banned something and they have also pointed out to a regulatorily consistent way in which you can achieve similar commercial aims without many of the risks associated with the present structures got it got it so matthew actually i had three follow up questions on the details that you just shared but looks like today you are predicting some of my questions already so the first one was fldg but you just answered that the second one is you spoke about that all the disbursals and collections and everything should only happen to a bank account between the registered entity and the borrower 
Now, where does that leave a payment aggregator? Because a lot of NBFCs and companies were using payment aggregator to collect the payments, aggregate it at a single place, and then deposit it. So, what was, is there some clarity emerging on that as well? There is an exception to the general rule that if you are a regulated entity and you have some statutory rights to keep the money hmm. then, or to provide these services, then there is then the DL guidelines will not negatively impact you. Right? Our, my view personally, and it hasn't played out yet, mm-hmm. is that you are a PA player and your action is a falls within the regulatory actions that are permissible for a payment aggregator. None of the external regulations, bars in the digital lending guidelines will affect you. And uh, then Matthew, the last question pertaining to that I had was a lot of, actually there is a saying in the fintech world now that all revenue or profitability roads lead to lending as a product. Now, because a lot of companies were using lending to maybe get some transaction data, use that to do upsell or cross-sell, earn commissions on it, and there are other ways of it. Now that RBI has, as you said, clearly come out with the privacy bit as well, that all NBFC need to have privacy by design. So... Will that reduce a lot of LSPs to just that, which is basically a DSA kind, digital DSA, where they can sell and earn commissions, but nothing over and above that? So I was really, really happy with the approach taken by the RBI on data. Hmm. In the sense that their intent was only to let the consumer control the use of their data. They have right. not made any further regulations or restrictions on use of data other than the fact that you have to display how you are using the data to a consumer, you have to make it very clear that these are the ways in which the data is being transferred, processed, analyzed, all of that. And you have to give them the right to delete all that data, access it, correct it and all. As long as we, within these guardrails that the RBI has imposed, as long as we take the permission of the consumer in an effective and implementable and clear way for whatever other actions that we want to do mm-hmm. by regulatory for the clarification. So the RBI comes right. and says, you can't. But as long as the RBI doesn't change the regulations, at this time, there is room to take consent of the data subject and achieve most commercial ends. Can I take all the data and sell it in the black market? Absolutely not. Not only the RBI, mm-hmm. This will also come up as they should, right? Right, of course. And, and it's already available. Like you'll be shocked at the number of people who tell me Aadharka data is available in in markets, you know, in, in specified places in, in India. So, I mean, I, of course, have absolutely no idea. But if data is available publicly uh, at such a large scale, there is obviously a problem with our data laws. And I think in the absence of you know, that bill, because we're still debating how to kind of have a comprehensive data bill, the RBI has kind of stepped in and done what it can and what it should, right? Uh, Will this change when the new bill comes in? Oh, absolutely. Um, But um, unless, of course, the the new bill says that, you know, this is in addition to the RBI regulations. But even if it does, this is a positive first step. I don't think the data regulations are going to kill the industry. I think the data regulations are only going to require Indian financial services and technology service providers to have a semblance of data governance and a respect for the fact that this data is not theirs, but it's actually the consumer's. Got it. 
Got so, it. If one could clap, I think the biggest positive take back from the DL regulations is the data rule. I only wish they'd made it applicable like one set of data rules for everyone, right? DL, is is uh, NBFCs. If you could just have, you know, a charter of consumer rights that the RBI imposes on on the financial services sector uh, and maybe encourages SEBI, PFRDA and others to also adopt it. I think that would be a fabulous solution for our data. Now, Matthew, imagine if I am, say, a fintech NBFC founder and I want to do consumption at the point of consumption credit. So today, at least right now, it seems that I have no access to a payment rail, which is, say, for example, a credit card or a card mode or UPI via credit on UPI because it is still limited to, say, a rupee. Uh, and when it comes to credit card, RBI says that an NBFC can opt for it. But right now, we only have Bank of Baroda and SBI cards, uh, which can actually issue credit card as of today. So then for each of these product, is it feasible for an NBFC to go ahead and do it and do it, say, profitably, especially on the credit on UPI? Because I think there's limited clarity on how it will pan out. Yeah, so right now there is regulatory lack of clarity in this space. We'll just have to wait to see how this plays out, right? Um, mm. I know there are three, four solutions that even we proposed to a couple of clients. Uh, but even when we propose it, we're very, very clear that that particular problem is subject to RBI clarifications. Um, there are risks in everything that I think is a, is a solution that is being proposed in the market. But I generally have faith in the RBI and this is contrary to what most of my peers in the <laughs> profession say. I, yes, the RBI sometimes overreaches, but it's a regulator. Look at, look at the PA, guide, PA guidelines, right? They came mm. out with uh, um, a set of guidelines and they issued multiple clarifications to not kill the industry. Even when, mm. you know, some companies, um, you know, did not fulfill the net worth criteria that was imposed as of March 30th, 2020, the RBI mm-hmm. came, ended the deadline, put in a fresh date. You know, it's it's not a regulator that is not listening. So I wouldn't be surprised if the regulator listens very carefully and tries and solves for, you know, the, the and enacts systems which will allow you to provide last mile credit, consumer credit, all the way down to a debit credit or a BPI have a system for approvals for all of that i think that's coming you're right at this particular point i think there is a little bit of gray area and every solution that is prevailing in the market has regulatory risks uh one solution could be to approach the RBI. the other thing that i found is you approach them um with genuine questions they respond to you so the mm-hmm. other option that maybe a um uh, you know, a DLAI or a, or, a, or a payments industry association, either of those could approach the RBI for clarifications in this regard. I suspect it will come. Mm-hmm. Right? But uh, you're yeah. right. At this point, every, every, every potential solution has risks. Understood. In fact, uh, Matthew, I was just going through Twitter. Of course, there are a few really brilliant uh, fintech founders having discussion on this topic. One solution I saw, and I think this was Sandeep, I don't remember his uh, firm's name, but spoke about that as per regulation, existing regulations, you can disburse a loan, uh, which has no end-use confirmation, to an overdraft account. 
and as per UPI 2.0, overdraft uh, UPI can be funded through uh, your overdraft account. So that means in an indirect way, maybe you can issue the consumption finance on UPI via overdraft account too. But I've yet not seen NBFCs getting access to open an overdraft account. Maybe it could be via the bank. But that was an interesting take on it that I saw. Yeah, I mean, so. I mean, Jugaad runs through our blood, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is very uh, true. Remember, in both the PA cases and the DL cases, the RBI has been very, very clear. Please comply with the letter and the mm-hmm. I would suggest that we don't get cute with these structures. <laughs> you've forgotten, you've left one small loophole and I'm going to exploit that. Uh, it's a temporary solution because Correct. the RBI will get wind of it it will it will ban this um it may not it it may kind of bring this up here's something that's happened to a client and i can't mention it right mm-hmm. a client made a small mistake got pulled up by the rbi for a small mistake but when we went to the rbi to try and fix it the rbi the regulator was like yeah but previously you have done one two three four also right which is correct those one two three four that we'd done were all exactly these kind of solutions right. where the regulations did not specify OD, you go and put mm-hmm. it in an account, you know, all of that happened. So we were like, the only legitimate response at that particular point was to say, we are sorry. We have stopped doing all those cute things that we used to do. We will mm-hmm. also undertake to conform to the spirit and the letter. But the RBI has a long memory, it remembers. Right? So right. rushing into this because also, it's also very, very clear on day one that we are going to have very detailed regulations around payments and lending and data from the RBI in the future, like very nuanced regulations, right? And you are probably going to have a whitelist, blacklist, whatever list is going to come. You might have a registration form, all of that, right? If that is the future that you are looking at, and if you are a responsible actor, Stop taking shortcuts to regulate solutions. Either solve it with proper tech, right? You can create technology to transfer in a fairly seamless manner money from one account to another account to a PPI, all of that, right? Right. Or to mm-hmm. The flick of a button or a or or a or or a swiping one way or any of those things, right? So yeah. uh, go build that. Do not. And and this is, you know, kind of going to, you know, insult all of us fintech lawyers. Do not think that your lawyer is a technology product engineer. Hmm. A lawyer can do product structuring to the extent of the regulation. Do not use loopholes and ask your lawyers to find solutions. Ask your technologists to find solutions. Right. And then ask your lawyer, ask your lawyer to match those solutions to the regulations. If you, if you come to me and say, can you find a solution for this? The only thing I can do is figure out the regulations, look at my understanding of the market and the technology and say, these are the five things that you can do. On the other hand, if you go to your technology service provider and say, you please talk to my lawyer about solutioning for this. Hmm. Put the two heads together and solve it. Do not go to one or the other because the other problem I've noticed is sometimes you just go to the technologist. And he comes up with a solution with your total misunderstanding of the rig. Unfortunately, you need both. Sitting together, yelling at each other for two, three days to figure (laughs) out how to solve these issues. But we've done that in a couple of instances. And we know that this can be solved using technology. 
slightly less seamless than otherwise, but it can be solved using technology. If I go any further, I suspect I'll be violating attorney-client privilege. <laughs> but no it's a solvable problem. True, true. And Matthew, I think this has been a brilliant conversation. And what I get a feeling from what has been happening for past few months and the way you explained it is it is good for the entire industry because the industry is moving towards maturity now. Instead of finding loopholes and finding gaps and regulatory arbitrage, we are moving where the ones which are operating in the right manner, in fact, will get more credibility and more faith and trust from the clients or customers and helping them grow as well. So I've really enjoyed this conversation, Matthew, and I'm very sure our listeners will enjoy that as well. Now, Matthew, we have raised some very, very interesting points. And in case our listeners who are mostly, say, fintech founders or people are operating in the, in the industry want to get in touch with you or your firm, what would be the best way to do that? Oh, just Google my name, all my contact details, email, phone number, everything's available. These days, it's been a little bit of a mess because that means banks offering loans and credit cards are the ones who primarily call them. but uh, <laughs> details are available you can you can ideally the way to get in touch with is email uh, i'll be happy to answer questions uh follow-up questions that you have or any of these so that's one but yeah i mean i mean i'm available and the other good news is being a small group of fintech lawyers in the country most people tend to know it's a really small world right so most people tend yeah. to know uh, like 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 how when you reached out and I said, oh, you work for Zeta and, and you know, um, we had a longish conversation about my very positive experiences with Zeta. So it's a very, very small world. True, true, true. Yeah, we are also missing Elva today, the my co-host that you spoke to. Uh, but the thing is, the good thing is, good or for our profession, I'm in my day job, I'm a consultant, right? So RBI regulations are creating a lot of work for both the lawyers and the consultant as well. I'll also include the details that you shared on our show notes so that our listeners can reach out to you. And thanks again for coming on the show and spending time with us. I'd just like to leave you with a thought. Um, when I was a young lawyer, I was working in a very large law firm in Delhi. And this was a time when, um, you know, Delhi police was, was trying to become more uh, people friendly. And their slogan was, help us to help you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think slowly that is also the rbi's approach i think if the fintechs and the startups and the nbfcs uh, jointly point out pain points that they have in the system and help the rbi to create systems to help you i think i think very easily an absolutely proactive you know observant regulator um, could help solve the iron out the few remaining wrinkles in the regulatory system Awesome. So on that very positive note, we are closing the, the podcast for today. That's it from India Fintech Diaries for this week. Do log on to our website, indiafintechdiaries.com for exclusive content. We also cover weekly fintech deep dives in our Substack newsletter. So do subscribe. Until next time, mask on and stay safe.